the Bible. Are you intimidated at the thought of reading such a complicated book? Do you find it daunting or delightful or both? Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. The Bible book club, where we read every word of this great book and then study it together. When last we left off in chapters 9 and 10 on the Bible Book Club, there was a shift in God's attitude. The plague of the hail and the locusts had an intensity, and there was a finality that signaled also that the end was near for Egypt. The time has come for the world to know the one true God. That's why God was doing these plagues to begin with, to make the end clear. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But not before Pharaoh had plenty of opportunities to let the Israelites go on his own, but he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. Okay, so here's the setup for this week. In these final two rounds of the fight between Moses and Pharaoh, a fascinating thing is happening. While one opponent shrinks and kind of withers with each round, the other is growing. Moses is gaining steam. And like a locomotive with a deadline to meet, he doesn't have time to waste with Pharaoh anymore. He, it's almost like he's over the plagues and he's thinking of what he has to do after. Like, I'm done with this project. I got to work, go on to the next project. So look at that and think about it, how God switched that up for them. All right. The next plague is round nine, and it is the plague of darkness. Continuing in chapter 10, verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, you must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. Okay, let's talk about this plague of darkness because it's very cool. The destruction of the plague of darkness was not physical. So there was no, you know, animals dying, anything like that going on. No creature died, no plant was destroyed. And yet it would have been probably the most mentally tormenting. The plague forced isolation. They could not even see each other. And we know that isolation forces us to be still. (laughs) We know that from COVID. (laughs) Exactly. And stillness is this time of reckoning. You think you have to stop being distracted by life. You have to sit there and just think about life and God. This plague would have produced a consuming fear of death. 
and what awaited them in the afterlife. Now, the significance of the message. This was the third plague in the third division. So there was no warning. That's what's a little bit shorter. There's no warning to them. It just happens. And it seems rather odd that this plague is the last in our three divisions, for it is not really an escalation in destruction. But the significance of this plague is in the message it sent to the people. First, there was no warning. So there was no information on how long it would last. And if it lasted forever, they were going to die. So, you know, at first they're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, is this going to go away? Where's the sun? Second, it would have been so hard. The only light around was in Goshen. It was like God was putting a spotlight on his people. All of Egypt was now looking at the lowest of the low, the Israelite slaves, and they were forced to reassess their value. The world had turned upside down. Conviction and fear must have choked them as they remembered how they treated the Israelites who now had all the power in a God that clearly had turned the lights off on Egypt. I think it's really cool how you said it like that, a spotlight on the Israelites because the Egyptians couldn't see anything and it is just like, okay, God was doing this so that his glory could be shown and then here that light is shining on them instead of the light emanating from their that's true. It's like, and for people like them. the Egyptians who who have sun ninety nine ninety 98% of the time, the sun is something that feels good to them. And so to see that on their enemy, the, their slaves, when they are in total darkness, is it, it was upside down. Also, don't you kind of need the sun to be able to tend to flocks? Oh yeah, and they're to, frozen. Yeah, they, they can't frozen. even get food or do anything. They can't do anything. They can't see each other's faces. There's, for whatever reason, I don't know how many candles or lanterns they might have, but not many. So the third thing it said was that the darkness could be felt. Now, some commentaries liken this to a dense fog or this certain kind of wind that stirs up in that area and kicks up a lot of sand. But to me, the commentary I love that it likens it to spiritual darkness, which feels like spiritual bondage. Darkness and bondage are related in the Bible. And certainly this may have been God's intent as the Egyptians had held his people in bondage for hundreds of years. The other significance of this plague is the message it sent to Pharaoh. So we talked about the message it sent to the people. Let's talk about the message it sent to Pharaoh about his gods. This plague was a devastating judgment in terms of Egyptian religion. The attack was on Ra, the god of the sun. And like I said, the sun shone 99% of the time over there in Egypt. And so that god was considered one of the most, if not the most powerful god. They worshipped the sun. In addition, Egyptian pharaohs were often considered sons of the god Ra. So this is like pharaoh's father that is being attacked. Therefore, the intent of the plague was also a direct message to Pharaoh himself. You, Pharaoh, like your son, God, are powerless before me and I'm coming after you next. So we talked about the significance to Pharaoh, to the people. Let's talk about the significance of the symbolism of the plague of darkness. This plague completes the theme of creation reversal. 
All that is good in creation in Egypt, the plants, the trees, the animals have been completely destroyed. Then, as if reversing the first day of creation, Egypt is thrown into darkness. Because remember, Genesis 1, in the very beginning, verse 2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. So this, he's reversing everything. He's undoing everything in Egypt. And now we get to their beloved son, the most constant aspect of Egypt's weather was extinguished and given to the Israelites. It's like God is saying, I have, I will be where there's light and where I'm not, then you're in trouble. Yeah. The message from God was terrifying. And without a doubt, panic would have ensued. Would the sun come back? Was this the end of their world? Were they all going to die? How could they undo what they had done to the Israelites? It would have been chaos you could feel. And we know that's how it was in the beginning because God created order out of chaos. And that's what they're feeling. All right. So let's just talk about this little Pharaoh who's now little in my head. <laughs> like I said, he's shrunk. He has a fit. He's like a toddler. He is whipped. He's like a child playing a game. It's only fun to him if he's winning. And for the first time, probably in his life, he can't win. Game over. So Pharaoh doesn't want to play the game anymore. And he melts down like a child and screams, get out, don't come back, or I'm going to kill you. Oh, yeah. It's like my kids when they start fighting and one of them goes in the other one's room. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's like a child now. Get out or I'm going to kill you. There is no opportunity for Pharaoh to redeem himself in humility. God hardens his heart. Yeah. And last time you did that comparison about whether it was God hardening his heart or Pharaoh Mm -hmm. hardening his heart. And definitely this time it is God and God is ready to just really show Pharaoh who he is. God and Moses both are done with Pharaoh. They're not going to give him much attention going on from here. They know the end of the story. They've moved on to the second part of the story. All right. The point here is we are all susceptible to behaving like a child. As adults, we just know how to hide our thoughts rather than venting them for the whole world to see. Well, most of the time. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes we do vent. (laughs) But God sees the heart. Are you internally pouting about a situation or a relationship? And how hard is your heart about the matter? How would the game change if you humbled yourself? I think that that is one of the hardest things to do. If you have somebody that you're in a disagreement with or somebody has upset you, or at least maybe for me, I don't know, Mm -hmm. maybe it's easier for, for you, but... For me, it's really hard. I have a way of doing like a cold shoulder to somebody (laughs) for a little while until I'm ready to come around. I I don't come around until I'm ready and I have to work on that. I'm going to note that. Haley, I'm talking to our producer. We need to note that about Heather. (laughs) In case she cold shoulders us. (laughs) I will. I will pout. But it's also because I don't want to say something that I will regret saying later. But I do think that's so true about God knowing the heart. And God just looks at the heart and you can't hide from God. So whatever's in your heart, he's going to know whether it comes out or not. So stop cold shoulder and just turn to him. Heaven forbid we do it so often. We play that card of hardening our heart so often that he hardens it for us. (laughs) There's no turning back. Then we're just like Pharaoh. is a Bible bender. Yeah. Because if like Pharaoh, we do it, then God's going to do it for us so that he can show us his glory. Yeah. Or he's going to give us over to that sin that we're just hardening our heart about and say, okay, 
okay, you need to learn a really tough lesson here. Yeah, I never thought about it like that before. Yikes. Okay, the final round, number 10, the plague on the firstborn. Chapter 11. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says about midnight. I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, go you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. All right, we're going to dig in here. So stay with me. I'm going to start with the significance of the message of the plague of the firstborn. First, God predicted it. This This plague brings us back full circle to Exodus 4.21. At that point in our story, Moses had just told Jethro, his father-in-law, he was going to Egypt and he loaded up his family and left. On the way, God spoke to him and said this, the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, See that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. At the time, I don't know if Moses realized it would really come to that. But here we are are just as God knew we would be. And note the exchange here, a firstborn for a firstborn. We're going to talk about this more in episode 10 when we get to the Passover instructions. But God is clearly saying here, Israel is my firstborn son. You refused. Now I'm going to kill your firstborn sons. Is it? And it's not really like an eye for an eye, which is kind of a a Jewish Israelite um, thing that later Jesus is going to say, no, not an eye for an eye, but it's not, that's not what God's doing, right? He's not really doing eye for no. an eye. He's just giving them the significance of it because they would I understand the weight. I can't tell you. I can't tell you. You have to wait till next week Oh, because it's really deep and it's really good and it really gets into the New Testament too. So hold that thought. Hold that thought. There's lots in there, and um, but I can't say today. All right. The other thing, the God that Pharaoh thought he was is no more. Egyptian pharaohs believed themselves to be gods. I said that earlier. Specifically, they were the sons of the most visible god in Egypt, Ra, the sun god. 
The plague of the firstborn is an attack on Pharaoh himself as a god. If the son, S-O-N, of the powerful sun god, S-U-N, cannot even protect his own son, S-O-N, who will be a god after he dies, then the game's over. That was deep. (laughs) (laughs) So what I'm saying is, you know, if, if Pharaoh, the son of the sun god, can't protect his own son, the first his firstborn, then he'll be a god after he dies, then game over. The Israelite god just killed the future god, the firstborn yeah, of Pharaoh. Because the pharaohs think that they themselves right. are gods. Right, yeah. right. All right. The other thing I thought about on this is the painful shattering that must have happened in Pharaoh's hardened heart. Pharaoh's heart is hard as granite by now, but surely this plague crushed it. This was his child. What anguish to realize too late that his own child was dead because of his pride. The future Pharaoh was dead. The kingdom was coming to an end. That had to like pierce that granite heart, not in the right way, but still he had to be crushed. And that's a good point about what bitterness does to you. Mm -hmm. If it goes on too long, it just gets worse and worse. And you know, that's sometimes people in their old age are just very angry. Yeah. And it hurts a whole lifetime of bitterness that's gone on. And like a ripple and upon it affects everyone around them. In this case, the poor kid died. All right. The other thing is this. This judgment was just. How many Hebrew sons had been killed at the hands of the Egyptians, we do not know. But this consequence was clearly a ruling against the Egyptians for killing God's people. The use of the word cry or loud wailing describing Egypt's suffering in in this plague in verse 6 is an echo of chapter 3, verse 6, that uses the same word cry to describe the Israel suffering. So you're right. God really is reversing all the roles. He's reversing all the roles. Now Egypt's crying and suffering. Each plague has brought a symbolic consequence for what was done to Israel. And with each consequence, there has been a shift in power. Pharaoh is out. He's down in this fight. He's done. The exchange of power is now complete. Moses doesn't even give Pharaoh a chance to respond. He just leaves. It's time for the exodus. But before we get ready to pack up and go, let's talk about our main man, Moses. And in particular, this one little phrase at the end of verse eight, then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Moses is angry because we know that Moses is passionate. So we're not surprised he's angry. But the last time we saw him display his passion was way back in chapter two. Oh, yeah, that was the murder. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and looking this way and that and seeing no one. He killed him and then hid the body. This time, hot with anger, Moses walks out. So he learned his lesson. Yay, Moses. (laughs) He's about to be the man that God called him to be. Exactly. Same thing that he's angry about. He's still angry that the Egyptians have been beating the Israelites. He has one passion, God's people, his people, the Israelites. But Moses has changed. He is not impulsive like he was the first time. He does not care who's looking. He's walk. He is in the court with Pharaoh. The whole the whole royal court's probably watching. He is not afraid of who he is talking to. Gone is the need to lean on Aaron. 
Gone is the doubt about his ability. Gone is the fear of failure. 40 years in the desert hiding and 10 rounds in the ring with Pharaoh have finally paid off. The impulsive passion that got Moses in trouble has been controlled and cultivated. It has become a powerful passion for a great purpose. And you know what I'm thinking about as they read this or as you kind of recap the journey that Moses went on to become that person that God called him to be. I wonder if as a listener, you can think about where are you in that continuum? Mm -hmm. Are you at the point where you're still kind of needing that insurance and needing that boost of confidence where you're looking to your Aaron to help you get through a situation? Or are you already gone through those trials and tribulations to the point where now you're ready? It's time for you to step up and be the person that God has called you to be. Where are you? And, And if you're not at that point yet, what will it take to get you to that point? What kind of obedience is God calling you to to do the the, the hard work? Because it is work. hard work. To and go took many years. Stuff. Yeah, hard work. And I tried to say there. Remember, forty years in the desert, and then ten rounds, which we read in a few weeks. But remember, it could have taken around six months to go through those ten plagues. So it was it was a lot of work. Then note this: there is another insight into Moses's new identity in the second part of verse three. It says. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. Moses has become a great leader. He is now highly regarded in Egypt. By both. By both people. Yeah. Yeah. But as the son of a slave, he is now highly regarded. Moses and his God have proven that they have more power than Pharaoh ever had. All the people and Pharaoh's officials respect him and fear him. Compare that to when Moses doubted himself and doubted God. I just want you to see the difference, the change in him. In, in chapter 311, he said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Then in 4.1, he said, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? 4.10, pardon, Lord, I have never been eloquent. I am slow of speech. And then 4.13, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone <laughs> no, else. He's a totally different person. Yeah. How did this insecure doubter become highly regarded by the his enemy, the nation he had just destroyed. How does one become a great leader? How does one turn passion into purpose? A purpose so great that even enemies recognize its truth. These are great questions for us today. And both questions can be answered with one simple word. This is not hard. This formula that Moses had is not hard. All he did was obey. Moses turned his passion into purpose by obeying God. In the beginning, he doubted. He argued. He begged. But step by step, he obeyed. He left Midian for Egypt. He met with Aaron when he was asked to. He showed signs to the Israelite leaders. He went to Pharaoh and let Aaron do the talking. He went to Pharaoh and he started doing the talking. He kept going back every time God told him. He executed God's instructions just as God asked. Moses began to believe God that his passion for the Israelites release could happen and that God could use him to do it. Moses's passion is being used for a great purpose to further God's plan for his people. 
And I think in addition to obedience, it's also experience. Now you have to do the obedience thing in order to get the experience. And and the thing is, God keeps his promises Mm -hmm. and God knows what you need. God knows how much experience you need. God knows that he was going to have to go through each situation. And that's why he kept telling him to do it. So yes, obedience, but God will bring you through with the right amount of wisdom at just the right time when you need it. And, And it's often even more things. It's courage. It's other things you need. But God knows you and he knows what you need after you obey. So Moses, like I said, turned his passion into purpose by obeying God. He also became a great leader by obeying God. It was just that simple. With each act of obedience, Moses's confidence grew. The Israelites confidence in him grew and the Egyptians fear and regard for him grew. The strength of Moses's leadership is obedience to God. Moses learned that God will bring about his plan. We just have to obey. Obedience is the secret sauce to a life lived for the Lord. And it's mentioned over 240 times in the Bible. A promise for us, if we obey, can be found in Psalm 103, 17. It says, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. For forever, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and obey him. Is it possible that it can be that simple for us? Is there something God wants you to trust him for? Is there something he wants you to obey him in? How might trusting and obeying change your thoughts, your actions, your purpose? Well, Moses has turned his passion into purpose and Moses has become a great leader with the simple act of trust and obedience. It is time for the Israelites to get ready for the exodus. Because on this dark night, the final plague is going to set them free in our next episode. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.